Welcome back to the Rebel Alliance podcast. Uh, we're happy to have you again for another podcast episode. And uh, coming at you again from the studio is our sound wizard, Dave, along with uh, Nate and Chris. How are you doing today, Chris? I'm doing well. How are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. That felt very formal. Formal? Yeah, Too I was formal. like, I'm doing well. How are you? Yeah. You don't normally use the word well. I, I was thinking about it, the fact that I start every episode with like, can't complain. Mm. And it's like, that's got to be getting bored. People probably just think we record this one time and just use the same intro all the time. But we don't. As evidenced by right now. By right now. The fact now. that our banter is running out of steam. We're, we, we are running. We are no longer friends. We're running out of things to talk about together. Yeah, we've talked for far too long. So let's start addressing our audience. <laughs> um, just uh, just a reminder for all of you uh, regular listeners, we'd love for you to uh, find these posts on Facebook, like them, share them, uh, comment on them. And more specifically, if you listen to us on iTunes or any podcast catchers, uh, run on over to iTunes, find our podcast and give us a rating and a review. It really, really helps. Yeah, that's not... We want you to do the ratings and the reviews, not because we want any glory in this. We're we not want, looking for you to stroke our ego. No, no. Like, I'm fine if you do. But I mean, like, what we really want to want for that is that for our podcast, the other podcasts we have endorsed on this, on this, uh, po- I guess, podcast, I keep saying the word podcast. If you rate them as well, rate us. It gets the Christian podcast higher up on that on the list. So anybody who searches for any of the terms in our t- in our title or Christian podcast is going to are going to see these podcasts. And we believe that what we're saying is biblical truth, that people can learn from what we're saying, not just us, the other podcasts like the Two Thieves and the Happy Rant podcast that we've pushed on this before. Get those messages out, helps get the gospel out and gets truth on the internet and out there for people to listen. And that's what we're at, we're all about, right? So Absolutely. And uh, just uh, as we get started here, let's just uh, start on a kind of informal note since you thought our intro was so formal. Uh, <laughs> and we're going to do uh, what's in the bin today. So this is a segment we sometimes do. We just kind of looking at church culture, Christian culture, and looking at some of the things that uh, that maybe are, are are worth just chucking. And so what are you putting in the waste bin? Oh, I... I'm gonna throw in that it gets me fired up. Okay. Um, so what I'm what I'm putting in the bin, as you say, is I'm I'm chucking when a pastor or a speaker solicits the amen. If you're amen, if if you're a pastor, listen, <laughs> that's an impromptu amen. Yeah, I'm amen. fine with impromptu amen. Like ha, like all. Are you for an it. impromptu amener? No, never, never. One because I'm usually like thinking about what's being said and I'm like taking notes and whatnot. And I'm sort like, that's kind of how my mind works. But like, it's just, it breaks. Like when somebody's like, can I get an amen for that? Right. Say something that's worthy of an amen and I'll amen. Right. You know what I mean? Like, I don't need you to tell me when to, to interact with what you're saying. It's literally, it's almost like if I, like you're a public speaker and you're just like, I'm just looking for all those things to just like yeah. bask Tell me you love me. me. Tell exactly, me you love me. <laughs> exactly. Like it's it's one step from Benny Hinn being like, show me you love me with your money. Show yeah. me the money. Like it's just it's one step from that. I can't handle it. I can't, I just, it irritates me. And I sit there and, it, and I, I often find, and I, I don't mean this in any respect, we've had some fantastic guest speakers at our church who have not done this, but We've all been in that service where there's like, oh, we have a guest speaker today, and he's the one who's like, can I get an amen? Can I, can I get an amen? Can I get a hallelujah? And or or like, even if he's that. not that crazy about it, if he just says something, he's like, amen? Like, like voice goes up at the end? Question mark? <laughs> <laughs> amen? Hashtag question? <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, he's just like, I, he just doesn't know if our church is biblical. Like, right. he's like, Christ, right. ris- Christ is risen? Amen? Amen? Like, yeah, you guys, yeah. 
Yeah, like I agree. Soliciting the amen is, is get rid of it. Yeah, chuck it. Next, actually, next time I ha- I hope it happens. I hope our listeners all stop and be like, we don't need you to do that. Yeah, it's, it's just cool. woolly men when you need us exactly. to. Just continue, just dropping the word on us, brother. Yeah. Like, let us have it. Yeah. That's all we want. I hear you. So. Um, great one, great one. Uh, here's here's one I'll throw in the bin, and it's one that I I legitimately, literally throw in the bin, is oh um, <laughs> Palm Sunday. Not the not Sunday itself, not Palm Sunday, nor the triumphal entry in Scripture that Palm <laughs> Sunday refers to. I don't want to throw any of that in the bin. Here's what I want to throw in the bin about Palm Sunday. Giving kids palm branches and parading them around the front of the church. Here's why I think we should throw that in the bin. I, You know, one of the things that, at our church that I, I'm really passionate about and, uh, and our children's ministry leaders are really passionate about is not having kids do things they don't understand. Mm. And I find that I hate it when we use kids as props, right? We, we're, we're supposed to be discipling them. We're supposed to be teaching them. We're supposed to be evangelizing them. But giving them palm branches and having them wave around for our benefit because we think it's cute, I don't love it. So... I, I I don't think there's anything cool or biblical about giving all your kids palm branches and having them wave around at the front of the church just because it's Palm Sunday. If you want to impromptu start cutting branches off the property of your church and laying them down in, in some sort of like reverent way, hey, awesome. But to, to, to go out and buy special palm branches, to give them to the kids, to throw them at the front just because it's Palm Sunday, I don't love it. That's going in the bin. Yeah, it's got to go in the bin. It's one of those things that like, Christian, Christian culture, Christian, like we, we do, we do understand what that means. Most of us in our church, but I I find find it funny how often we don't think of the visitors Yeah, and we don't think of like somebody who walks in and be like, the kids are walking around waving like palm branches at us. They're probably sitting there and be like, these people are crazy right? because they don't, they don't understand. And the, your, the best point I thought you said there was the fact that the kids don't understand and nobody explains it. It's right. not like anybody and likes, that's the thing. Here's why we're doing You know this. what? If your church is really set on this and you know you love your parent the parents love dressing up their kids and they're like Palm Sunday best or whatever, um, and they want to pray them around the front of the church, that's fine. Take a few minutes to explain it because it means nothing to anybody if it's just watching cute kids. If it's just watching cute kids, then you can do that any other time. Go volunteer in the nursery, you see them all the time. But if it like don't just give them the palm branches and, and watch them and use them as a prop. Explain it to them. Read the story to them. Tell them what they're doing and why it matters. Absolutely. Yeah. So anyway, that's what I was throwing in the bin this week. And remember, if you disagree with pa- what Pastor Nate said there, <laughs> feel free to email him. Uh, yeah. Um, Don't give out my email. <laughs> um, so uh, what are, what's our actual topic today other than us just venting? We, we're we're going to discuss a, a big one today. Um, the idea of the old earth versus new earth or young earth, as they say. Um, it's a big topic because this is one of those things that seem to... Christians don't necessarily have the right answer for this or they're, they're not thinking about these things. And we get this is one of those areas that people who are not and who are out to shut down our faith, this is something they bring up. This is yeah. something they've thought about and yeah. they're going to challenge us on. And if you're living missionally, like we have advocated on this podcast almost every week, get out there and live on mission for Christ. This is a, a conversation that you're going to get yourself into. Yeah, for sure. And this is one of the, those conversations that, a lot of the times, if you're not prepared for it, you're going to come out looking not silly, but just uneducated, and we, we don't want you to be that. Right. So, I I think one of the things, uh, you know, I remember when I was in university, this topic was really important to me, 
and and then it kind of gets swept under the rug a little bit like in pastoral ministry squeaky wheel gets the oil kind of thing and you're dealing with counseling uh, things leadership things uh, preparing sermons and and sometimes this sort of an issue doesn't always get brought up all the time when you're just dealing with a bunch of people in the church but you forget that the minute you're outside the church right the minute like you said you're living on mission you're talking to your neighbors you're talking to your coworkers. Uh, this comes up all the time, and I was really reminded of that recently. I recently had the opportunity to go and uh, and speak at Western University, uh, and uh, I was just speaking to some of the students there. I prepared, Chris, you have to know, what I thought was a great sermon, <laughs> a great little lecture, whatever you want to talk, whatever you want to call it. Um, but interestingly, like one little side note that I that I mentioned about this topic, about creation versus evolution or, or age of the earth kind of stuff, is actually what garnered the most response. Most of them came up and asked me about this or asked me to expand on it or I got emails or questions or, uh, you know, Facebook messages or whatever afterwards on this. So it just re- reinforced to me how prevalent this issue is, specifically for students in university and people who are engaged in kind of, um, you know, these kinds of discussions all the time. So it is still a big issue. So yeah, let's talk about it. Old earth versus young earth. We were listening on the way up. So, you know, we were just uh, heading over to the studio here and we were listening uh, to William Lane Craig. And and I just got to say, you know, William Lane Craig, I appreciate a lot of what he does, most of what he does. Uh, an apologist, if you look up his videos on YouTube and stuff, he, he talks about, you know, reasons why we should believe in God, all that kind of stuff. It's awesome. But uh, one of the things that we heard him say is uh, he was on some sort of uh, radio program and the person said, you know, that uh, 50% of uh, American ministers believe that the earth is less than 10,000 years old. And William Lane Craig actually said, that's embarrassing. And he said, mm. you know, the, the fact that they would disregard science and follow, you know, this so blindly, it, it's embarrassing. And he was advocating for an old earth to, you know, the earth is billions and billions of years old. And the fact that 50% of our ministers of the gospel believe that it's less than 10,000 is embarrassing. And, and Chris, you and I kind of looked at each other and we thought... I think it's kind of embarrassing that only 50% of the pastors and ministers out there. That's the alarming part to me. Yeah. There's 50% of us that don't believe this? Come right. on now. And so so obviously you, you may have sniffed out where we're coming from here. I would say on this podcast, Chris and I are kind of ar- arriving at the same conclusion. Uh, we're young earth guys. We, we think that the earth was created uh, less than 10,000 years ago. We don't believe that the age of the universe is, you know, 14 billion. I, I think 14.6 billion or something like that is the, is the new number kicking around that the earth is like 8.6 or uh, I that, that's what it was when I was in university who knows what it is now but um, yeah we're young earth guys yeah, no, cats out of the bag no 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 wonder why so many people think we're living in the last days if the earth is 14 billion years old <laughs> yeah no like, come on now so. yeah um, so we're young earth guys Chris why why are we young earth guys uh, for me very simply I that because I when I put my authority and my trust I put it in God's word and so to answer the question, I have to go to the authority in my life. And right. my authority in my life is God's word. And we, to quote uh, Kenneth Gentry, I'm going to paraphrase what he said. Um, he, Dr. Kenneth Gentry said he, that the foundation, God thought of this issue as such an important one that he put it at the very beginning of his story. Right. That this is, this is one of those foundational things that the rest of the biblical narrative begins and and starts with there is a yeah. point of this and that was at the very start of the story so i think i think 
for our listeners, it's very practical. We just read the story. Go for it. Um, so, you gonna read all of Genesis one, two, and three? One? No, two? I'm I'm literally going to read verses one through five because okay. I think yeah, I think my my whole premise stops and ends there. We could go farther, but yeah. you get enough of what I'm go saying. So, very first verse and sentence in the Bible: In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and the darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness, and God called the light day and the night darkness, or sorry, in the darkness he called night, and there was evening and there was morning the first day. I read that, and I can't, with if I'm, if I'm, Following what I believe the right way to read the Bible is to read it in context. That's the first ver- That's the first verse. I have nothing to go on there that says that that is poetry. That is allegory. Right. It says there was night and day on the first on night and morning on the first day. Right. I can't see anywhere that it says there was a million years added or that that day was a thousand years. Yeah. I don't see that in Scripture. So. At the, at the very start, and I, I know somebody is listening to this podcast being like, but it could be. And I'm going to say, yeah, it could be, but I don't see that. Yeah. And I have to go by what I see in, my, in the scripture. Yeah, it's, it's amazing to me that most kind of Orthodox Christians, we're seeing the deterioration of this in, in North American evangelical Christianity, but most you know, Orthodox Christians would agree that we don't take what culture says about issues like homosexuality and abortion we go to the, the Word of God. But it's amazing how the minute you start talking about evolution, science, age of the earth, that's where good, God-fearing Christians will say, well, you go to the Bible and reconcile all the things that we know to be true about science, right? Like, So, so they're trained in an uh, evolutionary worldview, and then they go to Scripture and they say, how can I make this work? And we don't do that with anything else. We do that with this. Yeah, I find, I find it funny that, like, that's a great point because our faith and is built on the resurrection of the dead, of the fact <laughs> yeah. that Christ yeah. rose from the it's dead. Pretty supernatural. So if you can't, if you can't reconcile that God created the earth in six days, well, there is no science. Like nobody is coming back from death. You right. I mean, like, if I die, I'm dead. Right. I'm not coming back to life. There is no scientific proof for that either. But that we have no problems believing that. But then we have to use science to try to explain the rest of our yeah. of our like. I, it's it seems like a very very flimsy place to start. Being like, oh, I'm going to use all these other things to prove this point. But the resurrection of Christ is the only, is supernatural. Yeah. It's like, well, couldn't it be all be? Like- so so I mean, we're going to talk about this. So let me just preface our conversation with a couple of things. First of all, if you are an old Earth creationist, I love you. I love you too. Uh, maybe I love you. I don't know who you are, but maybe you, maybe I do. Um, also, if you are even even if you are a theistic evolutionist, I would think that you have a lot more explaining to do. Uh, but uh, I just want to say we're we, what we're saying here is we're trying to advocate that we think that the Bible teaches that the world is ten thousand years old. And you might look at us and you might say you're ignorant, you're you're dumb Christians, you don't know science, you you know, you, you go take an evolution class, go take a science class in university or whatever. I have, we have. Um, but 
Um, this is where we land because the Bible is our authority. So just stick with us through this podcast, even if you disagree with us. And we're just going to kind of throw some bullet points at you. This isn't going to be a linear lecture. We're just going to throw out some bullet points and why we think uh, what we believe is true and, and also why we believe what we believe and, and maybe even some give you some talking points if, you're, if you believe what we believe and, and you're, you're trying to talk to somebody about it. So we're just going to kind of rapid fire at you. Uh, if you want to interact with us uh, at all on this subject, shoot us a message, shoot us an email, uh, and we would love to dialogue with you about this. Or, or maybe we, don't, we didn't answer something correctly. Uh, you might even find that some of our science is pretty flimsy. That's fair. We are Bible men. We are not scientists. So uh, we'll go with what the Bible says, and uh, and you can talk science to us all you want. So, uh, uh, just a couple of points. First of all, let's just say it this way. The, the reality is, is as Christians, we know that the Bible uses different types of literature, right? When you read the Psalms, it reads differently than First and Second Chronicles, right? When you read Revelation, it reads different than the book of Luke. So, there are different genres in Scripture. There's There's symbolism. There's poetry. There's all kinds of things. We know that when the Bible describes God as a mother hen who gathers his children under his wings, that it's not literally saying God is a bird. It's using an analogy. It is using a metaphor to help us see something. It's poetic. So one of the arguments against kind of reading Genesis literally is to say, well, this is poetry. This is just a story. And I would just say that the problem with that is that the rest of the book of Genesis reads like history. It, it, it's, it's about the history of God calling a people to himself. It's about the origin of sin. It's about the creation of the world. It's about um, God destroying the world and choosing Noah and, and then God choosing Abraham and the rise of a nation through Abraham. It's about these very historical things. And if you go in, like go in and read uh, Genesis 25, <laughs> the details there about, you know, how Abraham's servant went and got a, a, um, a wife for Isaac and found Rebekah. So detailed, right? It doesn't transition in and out. There's one part, there's one part in the creation story that is really written like poetry, and that's not until Eve is is created and, and Adam says, oh, this at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. But the rest of it reads like narrative. It reads like history. And, you know, Chris, you just read the first five verses, and I would say a plain reading of that, just a plain reading of that is that God created the world and it took six days and on the seventh day he rested. So if that's what the scripture plainly teaches, then the burden of proof is on the other people to prove that that's not what it says. I don't have to prove to you that's what it says because that's what it says. And that's the plain reading of it. And so if you want to twist it and, and make it say something else, then the burden of proof is on you to, te- to show me why six days doesn't mean six days. And, and I know people go to verses like, well, you know, a, a, a day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and they, they use those kinds of verses. And I just think, again, read the text. Read the creation account. It doesn't read that way. That's not the intention. Anybody of any education level who can read any translation of the Bible would read that. And if you asked a, a simple question of a 10-year-old who reads this, you'd say, what is this about? It's about God creating the world in six days, and then on the seventh day, he, he rested. Exactly. You got it. <laughs> exactly. Like I, I, to use an analogy for this, if somebody, let's think for a moment, if somebody was in a coma from the entire for their entire point of life, but somehow knew how to read, like we have to make that jump that they could read this, woke up, had no idea about any presuppositional 
beliefs of what creation was or where we came from and read the first three chapters of Genesis, what will be their conclusion of how we were made? It will be a literal six days because as you were saying, you have to add things to what scripture is saying to right. get another view of it. Right. And so that, I just don't see that. And that's yeah. to be, to be really frank for me, that's just the end of the story. Like right. that's where I, that's where I stop. Like, the Bible says that and that's all I need to do. But I realize in our culture, I have to understand a little bit more to be able to ex- explain this. So a couple things I, I just wanted to point out, if we're reading this as history, I know somebody will probably say, well, let there be light could be a big bang. And this could be like, you know, the explosion that started the earth and all that stuff. And I actually think Genesis 1 contradicts the order of the events of the evolutional story. Um, There's multiple points. For example, the Bible says the earth was created before the sun and the stars. Right. So that's one. So that's just the opposite of the Big Bang Theory. Right. right? Like those things would have existed first. Um, The Bible says that fruit trees were created before any sea creatures were, were in existence. Again, that's interesting. Um, that's the opposite of the creation of the uh, evolutionary, sorry. Um, the Bible also says the, the earth was completely covered with water before dry ground appeared. So we would all have to come from fish at that point. Right. So I find that doesn't really co like exist with the big bang theory to me. Right. And again, if we're just looking at Genesis plainly, it, we, we don't have those questions. We, we can orderly understand it explain exactly what happened because we don't have to dig into it. We just see it. Right. And I think the, I mean, the other thing that I, I find pretty interesting is that um, in order for somebody to reconcile and, and kind of meld together the creation story in Genesis with some sort of evolutionary belief would be to, to say that the way God got to Adam, right? First of all, I think you, you have to believe in a historical Adam, right? You can't say, well, Adam and Eve are just kind of these mythical figures that, that God is using to tell the story of how sin entered the world. Well, if that's the story he's using to tell us how sin entered the world, then you, you got to come down to the fact that both Jesus and Paul referred to Adam as a real guy. So somehow, some way, Christian brother who, who is trying to reconcile his, his uh, faith and his trust in God's word with uh, evolution— figure out how you can believe in a historical Adam, because with no Adam, there's no gospel, right? There's a great book out there called, uh, uh, from uh, Arthur Custance called The Seed of the Woman, and he talks about that, and uh, and he he's basically talking about how it, if you get rid of a historical Adam, you get rid of the gospel. As sin entered the world through one man, Adam, so it was dealt with through one man, Christ, right? This is Romans. It's it's necessary. Um, the other thing that I would just say is that uh, when you read Genesis 3, the actual fall, right, when Adam and Eve sinned, it actually says that's when sin and death entered the world, right? Prior to that, they're eating vegetables because there wasn't death yet. The first death, the spiritual death, was their disobedience, but the first death were actually the animals that God killed in order to clothe Adam and Eve, right? The first innocent death to cover the guilty, which foreshadows the gospel. But um, it says that death entered the world after their sin, which means that God couldn't have used evolution to get to Adam and Eve because evolution 
involves millions of years of, of extinction and death and survival of the fittest and genetic mutations to get to the point where you get to Adam. So at some point, you have to account for the fact that uh, to believe in evolution is to believe that sin entered the world prior to the fall, which is very, very clearly against what Genesis chapter 3 says. So there's a lot of questions that you just can't reconcile if you hold to a theistic evolutionary worldview. Yeah, that's, that's fantastic. The, the thing I, I think is also very important to, to remember as again, we, we put our trust in the Bible. And, and so I'm speaking specifically to Christians now who, who like Christian people who would have a different view of this. Um, Jesus affirmed the, 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 the young earth idea. He referenced Adam and Eve, as you were saying, as real people. Um, he, have, he referenced Cain and Abel, Noah in the flood, yep. Jonah, all like most of the supernatural events he referenced. Yep. And he did so in a way of being like, these are real events. These are real people. These are not allegory or myth. He didn't tell these in parable. He, he referred to them as real people. And I say that everybody will be like, well, he could have been meaning it in the allegory way. But no, remember, he was there. Jesus was there when the creation of the world was was made. He knows. He knows the story, and he references that as a real thing. And I think that's is important to remember. If you go to like Mark ten six, in the beginning, God created male and female. He knew at the start of time he did that. You know what I mean? Like it wasn't like there's no there's no section there for millions of years to be added. Jesus doesn't allow for that. And so if we take the words of Christ and apply it to this debate, this the, this theology. He affirms a young earth. Right. And I, th- I think if we can set up, we can set up here and say young earth, young earth. Jesus affirms a young earth. Well, he knows better than all of us. Absolutely. So, and I, I think, I think another great point, which you were saying is that there was no death before Adam. So to think of God creating the world in a way that builds up evolution, well, evolution needs millions of years of death and suffering as all of those things play out for us to get to where we are now all before Adam and that God doesn't affirm that there was any death. Those, those things would have had to evolve without ever suffering death before we get to Adam. And that just doesn't make any sense at all to me, but yeah. And I think, um, the other thing that I think, uh, is really interesting in Genesis is, and, and you can read more about this. I don't, I don't want to go into too much detail because I don't have the book in front of me. But if you, if you read the book, Heth God Said, uh, it's, uh, the tagline is The Framework Hypothesis versus Six-Day Creation. It's by Kenneth Gentry. You were talking about him earlier. And uh, if, if you look at that book, he actually talks about how the creation account in Genesis is actually written you know, by Moses in the midst of a, a whole lot of tribes who lived around Israel at the time who had creation myths of their own. And one of the things that a lot of um, you know, secular scholars would say is, well, the Bible just is one creation myth among many. But if you look at the uniqueness of the, of the Christian creation story, it differs from other myths in a lot of ways. Uh, one, we already talked about this, it reads like history. In other words, there's not a, it goes straight from God created Adam and Eve, this thing happened in the garden, they fell, you know, and then their, ki- their kids, their kids, next generation, uh, this is what happened with Cain and Abel. And then this is, these are, the, these are the kids of Cain and these are the kids of Abel. It goes right through, it tells you how many years they lived, right? And so, you know, how do we get, you know, 10,000 years? We, we, you add up these genealogies, they're giving you the dates. This is how long these people lived. These 
aren't just mythical figures that were meant to, oh, he, Adam symbolizes all of humanity or Eve symbolizes all of humanity. No, it, that's not how it reads. Other than like the other creation myths that were going on in Canaan and in Syria and in Babylon and in all these other places in and around the, the time uh, that the New Old Testament was written, um, some of those creation myths, they're, 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 they're fantastic right? They're, you know, these two gods got fighting, and this god ripped this other god in half, and, and his upper half made the heavens, and his bottom half made the earth, and, or, you know, there's this great turtle that got slain, and his, and his you know, insides became, uh, as it was, you know, his intestines were pulled out, it, it created the, the world. There's these really kind of fantastic stories, and then they're separated from history. All of a sudden, history starts coming Many, 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 many years or millennia later. That's not how the Bible story reads. God created things and stuff started happening. History started happening right away. And uh, I would I would encourage you to read Gentry's book. He talks about even even the language that they use in Genesis chapter one. The fact that he that uh, God referred Moses, I guess, uh, writing Genesis refers to um, the sun and the moon as the greater light and the lesser light is a is a kind of slap in the face to uh, the Canaanites who worshipped the the god of the sun and the god of the moon. And so uh, the fact that he would call them the greater light and the lesser light is almost to disregard what other tribes around them were worshipping as gods to say, no, 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 the real God, he created them. <laughs> he created those things. Even in the in the second verse, it says, the earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And there, there are some Canaanite gods who are called the gods of the deep. And so the way Moses is actually articulating and weaving and writing this story together is showing that, no, 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 the real God is supreme over all the false gods of our neighbors. And so it, it, there's just some amazing things when you start digging into the creation story there that we just don't have time to unpack here. No, that's that's fantastic. Moses, like you were saying, Moses affirms this, Jesus affirms this, and it's affirmed throughout all of Scripture. And I think that's, once you grasp that idea, it's very easy to go, what what do we think in this area, right? So yeah, I think that's good. If Obviously, we are not scientists, as we said before. If you have any questions about this, feel free to, to shoot us an email or a text or post on the Facebook. We'd love to have some people throw out some more stuff on this. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, we're not scientists, so we're not going to talk to you. You know, you'd probably get a lot of Christian uh, creationists who would talk about the problems of carbon-14 dating, right? And so, you know, those kinds of issues. The truth is, I don't know enough about it. I've read up on some of the difficulties of how some of the carbon dating methods are, are faulty. I've read up on those kinds of things. Um, here's how I would answer the question, because what we haven't talked about, we've talked about what the Bible says, and to us, that's enough, right? Chris, you said it. The, if that's what the Bible says, that's what I'm going to believe. This is what this is where my authority is. Um, here's how I'm going to answer the question, because I'm not going to get into all the science. I'm not going to talk about, well, what about evolutionary fossils and all that kind of stuff? And and I, I think that the fossil records um, actually disprove um, millions of years of, of uh, evolution. But, you know, I'm not qualified to talk on that. So let me just say it this way. As a, you know, when God created Adam, God created Adam as a fully formed man. So let me ask you this question, listener. Um, when Adam was 30 seconds old, how old did he look? Well, we don't know. But here, here's the point. Whether, whether God created Adam as looking like a 20-year-old or a 30-year-old, let's just say 20 years old. So when Adam was 30 seconds old, he looked like he was 20 years and 30 seconds old, right? Because God created Adam as a fully formed human. 
Adam was created fully. Do we? Do you think Adam had a belly button? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. The Bible doesn't say. I would speculate that he did. Even though he didn't have an umbilical cord because he didn't come out of a woman, I would imagine that God created Adam with a belly button. Um, you know, you can ask the question, when God created a tree, did he create a fully formed tree? Yeah, the, the, the Bible says that he did. In fact, he says he created all the trees that were not only beautiful to look at, but were also good for the fruit, which shows his creativity and, and that he made these things not only functional, but beautiful as well. But God created these trees. And so if you had cut down a tree that God had just created, right, and you looked at the inside of that tree trunk, would you be able to count the rings? You know how you can count the rings on the inside of a tree trunk to see how many, how year, how many years old it is? So a fully formed tree that might look like it's 200 years old, it, God just created it. It's 30 seconds old. And if you cut it down and you looked at the rings on the inside, I imagine, I wasn't there, and neither were the scientists. Mm-hmm. So I would imagine that it had the rings because God created it looking like it was a fully formed tree. So God created, I believe, God created an earth. Here's another one. We know that stars now, we have these great telescopes that help us look millions of light years into, the, into, the, into space. So these stars that are millions of light years away, the, the, sun, the, the light, because we know how fast light travels, we know that when God, if God created the, the world, that most of the, the light of the stars wouldn't have been hitting the surface of, of the earth because they were millions of light years away. It would have taken all that time for the light to get to us. So then the question is, well, did God create the stars and it was millions of years later that we could see them? Did God just create them knowing that they would be useless for millions of years? And I would say, no, God, God made them with the light in transit. Why? Because God created a fully formed universe. Just like he created a fully formed, fully functioning man, and Adam didn't have to grow from a baby to a toddler, he was he was created as a fully formed man, so too God created fully formed trees that didn't have to grow from seeds to seedlings to tree, little trees to big trees. He created a universe that was fully formed. It had age to it. It had... Um, you know, had, had, had the mountains that he created and, and all these kinds of things. They, they looked like they had been eroded. They looked that way because God created a, a fully formed, mature universe. And so I think that's a really simple answer for us. You know, how long does it take for, you know, a, a tree to begin to bear fruit? Well, we know that when God created these trees, not only did he not create them as seeds that had to grow into trees, he created them as fully formed trees with fruit on them. They had fruit on them right away meaning that God created a universe that was fully formed and fully functional. And so if it looks older, as humans observe it, it's because God created it as a fully formed universe, just like he created Adam and Eve as fully formed adults. So I think that's just one really simple kind of logical answer that helps us believe what the Bible says. So I just say that to say there's just one way, uh, one, one, you know, idiot, you know, from me, um, trying to explain something like that. And if I can take that little bit to explain that, then surely, like, we can believe what the Word of God says. It, it's, it's, it's fine for us to believe it. We're not the idiots because we don't believe in evolution. Uh, in fact, the Bible says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So believing what God says and trusting what his word says to us is actually the beginning of wisdom. It's actually the fool who says in his heart there is no God. So it's the fool who looks at the world and thinks that we're products of evolution. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Well, let's wrap up there. Again, like we said earlier, 
This is a big topic. This is one you will come up to. So if you get asked the question, feel free to shoot us a, a comment and we'll try to our best to answer it as best as we can. There are resources available to you in this area if you are getting in these conversations, feel free to have that. Kenneth Gentry is a, is a great one to look yeah, up in sure. terms of this area. Um, there are some more. Um, but we do have one final question that we've been asked uh, over the last several weeks just to define some of the terms that uh, we keep getting and we keep saying and just so that people understand what the term means and then why we reference it all the time. Yeah, we don't want to be using terms that are familiar to us but unfamiliar to our listeners. So um, one of the terms that we've been asked to define, I'll shoot it to you this time, Chris. Uh, we use the term, actually we use it quite a bit because it's a, a passionate topic of ours, um, but we've been asked to define the term eschatology. It's a big word. We use it maybe a lot. Sometimes we don't uh, take the time to define it. So what does eschatology mean? It simply is the study of the last days. So the study of the end times in, in a biblical sense, like what do we think happens at the end of time? Um, and that's, it's, it's really a term that incorporates, in, incorporates all the study of all of the different views of end times. And might as well, if we got a bit of time, go into that. Yeah. So, I mean, we use a lot of terms and one of the, actually one of, we have been asked, well, we, we define ourselves as post-millennials. We don't have to get into an argument for why we believe that, though we'd love to at some point. <laughs> and we have a couple episodes that are on that. But there's three basic views of eschatology. So why don't you just walk us through that, Chris? Sure. Uh, the three basic views would be premillennial, postmillennial, and amillennial. And all those are centered around Revelation chapter 20 um, and the millennial reign. Millennial means a thousand years, reign of Christ. Um, so we'll just, we'll just start. Uh, premillennial, that would mean the cross has happened. We are living in now the church age. There will be a second coming or a rapture to bring back to suck, to bring up the Christians, and then the at, at the end of the time, there'll be the millennial period where Christ returns and rules on earth before the last day of judgment, where we'll initiate the new heavens and the new earth. That would be premillennial, and there are there are different yeah forms of it forms of it. Um, so and we'll go into all of those. If you're interested, feel free to ask us. There's all millennial, which means Christ, the end of the uh, the resurrection of the Christ that initiated his millennial reign there, which is symbolic, and Christ is reigning in heaven. Seated right at the right now. hand of the Father, yeah, so, exactly, right hand of the Father, right now, and we're living in that. Now the differentiation with there is that the world will continue to get worse and worse until Christ comes back in second judgment, and basically ends ends time at that point. Um, that's the second coming of Christ after a symbolic amount of time. It could be thousands of years, could be millions, we don't know. And then Christ will come back in judgment. That's called an, the all-millennial position. The position we hold, um, which we both I would think we hold it because we believe it's biblical, would be post-millennial. And that what that simply means is that the advance of the gospel is going to continue. It's going to grow, just like the Great Commission will be fulfilled on earth, in our lifetime, our lifetimes as humans, not necessarily me and Nate's lifetime. It could be tons of years. And at some point, a millennial kingdom, a golden age of Christianity will be taking over the earth and we'll have a thousand years that could be literal or a symbolic thousand years. And at the end of that, Christ will return and set up a, and set up his kingdom and usher it in. And he, the only the only enemy he has left to defeat at that time will be death. And we could get more into it, yeah. um, but we kind of look at it as post-millennial, the optimistic view of the Great Commission that Christ will 
win his nations back through the work of the believers, all millennial, that Christ is reigning right now, and that the world will continue to get worse, and premillennial, that the world will continue to get worse to the point that Christ just takes his people away and then sets up his sets up his kingdom. Those are kind of the three. And so you'll issues. you'll notice that the three uh, prefixes, right? Uh, pre, post, and ah. So millennial, like you said, the thousand year reign of Christ, the the reign of Christ. Uh, pre just meaning that. Uh, Christ comes back prior to the millennium, right? Prior to his physical bodily reign on the earth. Ah, meaning Christ, the, the millennial reign isn't actually on the earth, but it's Christ reigning in heaven now with all of the saints who have already passed away in Christ. And then post that Christ comes back after the millennial reign of Christ on earth is realized. And we believe that that would be through uh, the spread of the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit and, uh, and God's uh, inauguration of his church. So yeah, that's, uh, that's eschatology 101 for you. And uh, we do have a couple of episodes on it. We'd encourage you to go back and, and re, uh, re-listen to those. Uh, we had a great pastor and friend of ours, Mike Wilkins, on, and we talked about uh, post-millennialism. And uh, you can check out that episode if you, uh, you want our view flushed out a little bit more. But uh, thanks so much for listening. Hopefully this episode was helpful and practical to you. If you have any questions, make sure you send them our way. We love getting questions and we love interacting with you. Uh, But uh, until next time, uh, have a great week. And uh, thanks for joining the rebellion.